Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for being with us today. Well, we have a real treat for you on the show today. We're going to talk about the top 10 issues affecting commercial real estate or real estate in general from the CRE Council. Uh, please welcome my guest, Hugh Kelly. He's a PhD. He's a CRE. He's also a professor at real estate at NYU. Hugh, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me back. Well, we appreciate you being here in Studio One today. And uh, and Hugh, to get us started, tell us about this report that, that you guys put together. How is this put together? This is this is one of the most interesting things we do at uh, mm-hmm. uh, at the at the council is we have a, a group called the external affairs committee and their job is is to think beyond the real estate industry uh, to uh, see how the economy and politics and social trends are affecting uh, our industry uh, because real estate functions to service all of those those things um, and so they each year. Uh, research and 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 debate and and discuss uh, a whole variety of issues and then if, once they've winded them down and researched them a bit they bring them to our national meeting uh, and present them to uh, the delegates that come to that and then we actually vote on uh, on the issues that are proposed and the ones that have the top 10 rating uh, are selected and then they are, are put in order actually by vote of, uh, of the attendees at the councillors' national meetings. And tell us about the councillors uh, briefly. Sure, the councillors of real estate is, uh, uh, is uh, a small uh, organization in, in a sense. There are 1,100 people worldwide. It's by invitation only. You have to be a very senior person with 10 years of experience in your organization and be recognized in your local market as a thought leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so uh, we have uh, 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 this this network around the the world. Uh, It is an organization that has accountants, it has lawyers, it has developers, it has brokers, it has appraisers, it has all of the disciplines that, that affect uh, uh, real estate. So it's a chance for people who are at the top of their game to come and speak with one another across their disciplines. So instead of all of the appraisers and all of the investment bankers and all of the developers going to their own respective organizations, here's a place where they can, they can uh, get out of their silos and begin to, to uh, talk about the, uh, the industry as a whole. That's great. And before we get to the top 10 also, can you tell us about NYU and the, the uh, real estate there? Well, uh, NYU uh, and the Shack Institute of Real Estate uh, goes back now uh, about 40 years. Uh, actually, a, a very prominent New York developer, Larry Silverstein, did the initial funding for it. Uh, since uh, 1988, we've had uh, a master's degree program in real estate. We actually now have three of them uh, in real estate uh, finance and investment, in construction management, and in development. Uh, we have, at any given time, about uh, 700 students pursuing their master's degrees. Wow. And uh, I'm very happy, and this is a sign that the real estate industry has bounced back, that every single one of our graduates last May walked into a job. That's great. And some of these folks are going all over the world for jobs, right? There is uh, no question about it. About 25% of our student body now is international. About uh, 40% of the international students are women. Uh, And they come from uh, the Far East, from Japan, from China, from Korea, from India. They come from uh, Eastern Europe, 
they come from uh, uh, the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, and so we're really, really uh, pleased. From Latin America, yeah. from Latin America, many, many students coming up from uh, uh, from Brazil and Argentina okay. and Venezuela. So uh, well, we're women, really pleased. Women in real estate. What's this world coming to? I tell you, now. <laughs> you know, I'm and, just kidding, ladies that are in my office and real successful. That's that's <laughs> that that's true. But I, I will I will yeah. tell you that that these women that are coming to get a master's degree in either finance or development are not going to be housebrokers. That's right. Uh, they are going out and they're going to make their mark on the world. That's right. All right, well, let's get to the top 10, and we're going to do this backwards. We're going to do the David Letterman style here with, and start with number 10. And, and number 10 is agriculture, right? Yeah, it is. I'm, I, I'm very proud to say I think I teach the only unit on agriculture in, in NYU's uh, master's program. But it's so important, you know, uh, uh, about 920 million acres of uh, the United States, 45% of our land mass is given to agriculture. It's a net export industry. We feed the world. Uh, uh, it brings capital. And as the U.S. population grows and as the world population grows, our agricultural productivity uh, is, is essential to the viability of society. Uh, and so it really does impact real estate. And you know, it's in the meantime providing great returns to investors. Uh, last year, uh, uh, the NACREF uh, Farmland Index uh, had a total return of above 17 percent. So that's, that's a pretty good total return for, for dirt. Yeah, that is. And it's a big part of the GDP, isn't it? It, it, uh, it is. Uh, you know, it's about $750 billion of, uh, uh, of output uh, directly. But then when you think of all of the transportation that goes into bringing products to market, uh, when you think about uh, all of the science that goes into, uh, into agribusiness, uh, the multiplier effect is very large. Right, and it's, it's only going to grow, right? I mean, the population around the world in the U.S. is growing, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we're, we're thinking that we're going to be growing uh, uh, from uh, now about 318 million people in the U.S., uh, another 100 million by, uh, uh, by 2050. World population, we're at about 7 billion, will be 9 billion. Uh, and uh, most of those people around the world are going to live in cities. If you do the math now, about 50 percent of the 7 billion live in cities. That's 3.5 billion people. But by 2050, the UN projects that about 75 percent of the 9 billion are going to be in cities. That's nearly 7 billion people. So the population of cities is going to double around the world. But cities grow no agriculture. <laughs> Right, so right. we're going to need to, to feed those urban dwellers. Right. So agriculture business is going to grow in, in all over the country, not just in Colorado where they're growing weeds, right? Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's true. And, you know, it, it interfaces with some of the other issues. You know, the thing about this, this year's list of issues is that they're all connected to each other. You can't talk about agriculture without talking about water, for example. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about agriculture without talking about globalization. So, so they all do connect to one another. And let's talk about number nine, manufacturing. And manufacturing, I guess, is, is coming back to the U.S. A, a, in a little bit, right? Is you starting to see more of that? Well, it's, yes, there's, yeah. uh, and there are two reasons for that, mm -hmm. uh, possibly three. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one is that onshoring uh, uh, is a reversal of the offshoring Kind of, it, it turns out that it is very difficult to manage things on a worldwide basis. 
that this is still the largest and most robust, the wealthiest market in the country. So it makes sense to bring uh, production close to the market. So you see uh, things like uh, BMW and Mercedes and Honda and Nissan and Toyota all having automobile plants right here in, in the States, right? right. And that's because the market is here. So that, that's one, that's one uh, element. Second uh, thing is that with the cost of transportation uh, being what it is, uh, and even though uh, uh, we're going to produce more energy here in the, in the States, you know, oil prices are now, you know, well above $100 a barrel. It's costly to ship things, so if you can bring things closer to market, that's a cost savings for uh, people. And the third thing is, is that short-run manufacturing. Uh, is becoming more and more important. And so the development of technologies like 3D printing, uh, I think, is a real game changer for, uh, for our manufacturers. And we're in the beginning stages there, right, and how that might affect uh, the, the industry and commercial real estate. It, it, it really is, and, and you, you see it in all sorts of things. In New York City, we have a, a, a school called the Fashion Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you think of it just as, you know, a garment industry design thing, but they design everything. It, it really the emphasis should be on technology rather than on on fashion, mm-hmm. in that sense. So they've got a whole array of 3D printers in which uh, their students and their faculty build prototypes, and uh, companies come to see what's uh, what's there and use these prototypes and the 3D printers in order to bring specialized products to market. So short run. Uh, manufacturing, uh, 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 both in fashion and uh, and in uh, uh, other hard harder kinds of goods, is just at the beginning of it, of its uh, uh, of its upward trajectory. I think. In one sentence, what does more manufacturing in the U.S. do for our economy and real estate here? Um, well, it, I think it changes it changes the the, the nature of manufacturing mm-hmm. to uh, to a, a degree. When you're talking about uh, short-run production with 3D printing, you know you're not you're not talking about large behemoth factories, but very small areas. So it's going to affect uh, industrial parks, for example. Uh, it means that uh, uh, goods are going to be produced close to the point of sale for retailers. I think it has a tremendous uh, impact. All right, more on the top 10 issues affecting real estate. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the top 10 issues affecting commercial real estate. We have Hugh Kelly, CRE chairman, with us here in Studio One today. And we're down to number eight on our countdown, and number eight is housing. And housing is certainly a big part of any recovery, but we've had a bit of a slow recovery, haven't we? It's uh, it's true. I, I suppose housing would have been number one some years ago, right, uh-huh. as an issue. Yeah. Uh, now, fortunately, the issue is moving in the other direction. How uh, uh, does the recovery in housing affect the economy generally, and then how does that affect commercial real estate in its turn? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, the uh, the revival in housing construction is a really important uh, uh, element. Uh, it means that some of the glut of housing has been taken off the market. We need to produce new units. 
And for single-family housing, every time we create a new unit, we create three new jobs across the economy. Yeah, and that's interesting, three new jobs for each home. For, for every single-family home, 1.2 jobs for every multifamily unit. Uh, so uh, if you add uh, 150,000 units, which is the growth that we're expecting to see uh, this year, that's 450,000 extra jobs. And that job, those job growth, that's just not in the guys swinging the hammers, right? That runs down the line. No, that's that's uh, uh, that's true. The multiplier effect is both uh, upstream from the production of the housing, you know, the mortgage bankers that are uh, that are funding, uh, uh, the land planners and the architects that are that are involved in doing it, and the developers themselves, of course, and then downstream, you know, when you build a new house, it has to be furnished. So. Uh, uh, you know, appliance manufacturers, furniture manufacturers, carpet, textiles, that all comes in, into, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, into the picture. So those jobs flow across the entire economy and not just in the locality where the house is produced. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. When I bought a, a, my last new home, my wife said, well, what's the budget for new furniture and, and uh, decor? I said, can't we just bring our old crap? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer was no. Is that correct? <laughs> that's right. It was no. No, you got to have new stuff for the new house, right? And that makes the economy come back. It, 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 it does. So uh, the, the thing about uh, many of these, these uh, uh, professions, of course, they suffered in the downturn. They were contractions, you know, across construction, across mortgage brokerage, uh, uh, you know, uh, across architecture and land planning. So people have, in those fields, really had to draw down their savings. So as new income comes into them, that's going to get spent. Mm -hmm. So uh, one way that housing uh, affects things is not only in the wholesale production of furniture and appliances, but it's going to be affecting retailing as those incomes begin to be spent in local economies. Right, and there's a lot more ahead of us, right? I mean, we're not back to the, the new normal, well, maybe a new normal, but we're not back to the level we were. Well, no. The long-term average for, for, for housing production is 1.4 million units. We hope to, to get, you know, to maybe 1.1 this year. So there's still a lot to go. So, well, you know, will we really be producing the kinds of housing that we produced, let's say, in the 70s, yeah. right, when the baby boom was entering the housing market? Well, the millennial generation is as large as the baby boomers. As a percentage of the population, it's not as large, but in absolute numbers, it's equal in size to the baby boom. Well, that is an enormous amount of housing demand as, as these kids uh, get to the point where they uh, are, are first going to become renters and then become uh, homeowners in their, in their turn. Right. So you don't think the, uh, <laughs> the millennials are afraid to buy homes when they saw their parents lose theirs? I don't. Actually, the ambitions of, of, of the millennials mm -hmm. uh, are not that far apart mm -hmm. from the ambitions of their uh, of their parents. Uh, you know, in terms of wanting uh, to have good quality of life and and, and and housing, and even raising raising a family. Uh, the interesting thing is where they may choose to do that may be different, uh, uh, because as cities have uh, uh, improved their own quality of life. And the uh, um, the uh, the older suburbs have entered a period of decline. Uh, the uh, migration of people out of cities into suburbs, as they uh, uh, as they reach childbearing age and child rearing age, 
that momentum is is uh, uh, slowly shifting in favor of the cities. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, we sell all types of, of properties uh, around the southeast here at our shop, and the biggest change we've seen is in land. I mean, last mm-hmm. year, the landscape, if you will, of, of land sales just really changed. The demand just uh, really increased a lot. And, um, well, let's talk about number seven. We're down to number seven now. It's mm-hmm. capital markets. Okay. Well, follow the money. Wasn't that what we were advised to do? Uh, the good news for, uh, for real estate is that there is absolutely no shortage of capital uh, and that there is an abundant uh, uh, diversity of sources of, uh, of, uh, of capital. Uh, uh, international capital is very strong. Private equity is being uh, uh, compiled, and it's very different from the syndication equity of the, uh, of the 1980s. Um, you know, certainly the public markets, the REIT market and the CMBS market is beginning to, to accelerate. Uh, and, uh, you know, you find many uh, high net worth individuals, both here and abroad, investing in, in real estate. Uh, you know, someone said to me uh, uh, recently, you know, once you have a billion dollars, you know, your motive is to keep the billion dollars, not necessarily add the next one or two million. Mm-hmm. So it's become less about yield and more about conservation of capital, particularly if you're coming from a part of the world where you need to move your capital to a safe place. Right. And that's really affected the commercial real estate investment market in a big way. You know, the, the core assets, any, almost any property, even if it's a B asset in a, in a um, secondary city, if it's strongly leased with good tenants, there's a huge demand out there, right? Yes. Now. Yes, the, yes, there is. You know, you think of, of how we've been worrying about our trade balance with China. Uh, uh, and now we're seeing a lot of that Chinese capital come right back into U.S. real estate the way it did with the Japanese in the 1980s. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you two examples in, 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 in New York uh, City. Uh, a half a billion dollar loan on one building by the Bank of China. Mm-hmm. Half a billion dollars. And that's even smaller than uh, what's been contributed by Greenland uh, Holdings, a Chinese semi-government uh, agency that's uh, taken a 70% equity stake in the Atlantic Yards development in Brooklyn, New York, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Well, Atlantic Yards is a $7 billion development project. Mm-hmm. So 70% of that was a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And speaking of a lot of money, uh, what about the loans maturing in the next three years? These loans that were put on, say, 10 years prior, they're, they're going to be coming due. What do you expect to see there? There was a tremendous amount of fear mm-hmm. about this tsunami of reef financing uh, in the CMBS market because the uh, quality of the lending uh, was considered to be uh, uh, weak and uh, the ratings of the lending inappropriate. Uh, And that when it came time to refinance those loans, the buildings would not be at the values that they were when the loans were originally put into place. That certainly was true in 2010 and 2011. Uh, when uh, the forecast were that this was going to be a, a catastrophe for the uh, for the industry, but this is about three hundred and sixty billion dollars worth of of, uh, of refi needs. CMBS issuance last year was about one hundred billion dollars. It's going to be about one hundred twenty five this year. So it now looks like we can actually fund that. And of course, as commercial real estate prices have crept back up, 
certainly have soared back up in the 24-hour cities, yeah. uh, uh, a lot of these loans can uh, be safely refied. Yeah, and there's a lot of capital out there. That's the good news. This is a commercial real estate show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. I'm here with Hugh Kelly in Studio One. We're talking about the the Council of Real Estate's top ten issues affecting real estate, and we're at a big one here. We're at number six, and it's not big because it's number six. It's big because it's water. Uh, yes, and who would have thought it, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I I was having um, uh, uh, lunch over the last weekend with my old college roommate. And he's from California, and he saw the list. And he said, number six, water should be number one. Yeah. What uh, can we do without water? Uh, and, you know, yeah. if you are west of the 100th meridian, you know, you've been in a 14-year drought. Uh, you know, if you are uh, reliant on Colorado River water, as Phoenix is, as, as California is, uh, if you're reliant on Lake, Lake Mead, you're in serious trouble. How do you grow a city if you don't have enough water? Yeah, I mean, it's going to have a huge uh, impact on the economic growth of these areas, isn't it? And that's the, yes, uh, you think about our energy, how much we depend upon fracking for, mm-hmm. for energy. Well, that's short for hydraulic fracturing. You're pumping water into the ground. So what is the alternative use for that water? Mm-hmm. Uh, to grow crops, to, to, to uh, provide water to cities, and then you know, stretch it out to the world uh, because... Uh, uh, if water is a problem in in uh, the U.S., is an even larger problem around uh, uh, around the world. We have we uh, uh, three million people die every year because of inadequate or dirty water. Mm. Uh, it, 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 you know, and that's a fixable problem. Uh, you know, uh, two billion people uh, today have inadequate healthy water supplies around uh, around the world. Uh, so that really hinders world economic growth. Uh, so it, it is a major thing. It impacts real estate in a series of steps, but it's it's there, and we need to uh, to think about it. We haven't invested here in the U.S. in the infrastructure that that we need to do. I mean, there's no reason why we should have water surpluses in one part of the country and tremendous water deficiencies elsewhere. But we've not invested in the infrastructure to to rectify to to correct that imbalance. You think of how we grew out of the Great Depression, right? You know, with projects like the Tennessee Valley Authority, which kind of tamed uh, uh, the rivers of the South and then electrified the whole rural South, uh, which developed projects like the Hoover Dam to create Lake Mead and open up the West. This time we had a tremendous opportunity uh, 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 and kind of wasted it by not giving the attention to stimulating infrastructure development. That's something we can always correct, but we don't seem to have the, the political will to do that. What should we think about as a real estate investor or, or user or advisor uh, related to investing and using real estate with, uh, with this possible water shortage looming? Well, I, th- I think you 
first need to, to see whether you can uh, work with what you have because the idea that you uh, may need to, uh, 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 to rely on the existing supply that you have and not get new supplies is very important. So some of the green buildings that actually do that, uh, that are very efficient in recycling gray water into use within the building, uh, for heating, ventilating, and air conditioning purposes, for example. That's something that you can do. You can upgrade uh, your, uh, your systems and take what is waste now and turn it into something that's productive. Yeah. That's one thing. That's a good point. Uh, we had a show on environmental issues the other day, and the environmental engineers said a lot more people are checking the water table under the properties they're buying, because the, and, and uh, he said, because they might need it one day. That's correct. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's get to number five, globalization. It's a small world after all, right? It, it, it is, and it's, it, it's, it's a big example of, of how uh, you should not take trends and extrapolate them indefinitely into the future. Because the thought was that you know, uh, globalization was going to be a permanent negative for U.S. jobs that we were going to take all of our uh, low-wage jobs uh, and they were going to go out to Indonesia and, and, and Bangladesh and, and, and elsewhere. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, that uh, has not necessarily been, been the case. We're having increasing onshoring of, uh, of manufacturing for the reasons we talked about before. And we have, uh, uh, you know, talk about infrastructure, this massive expansion of the Panama Canal that's going to reshape global supply chains, that's going to open up uh, industrial distribution markets along the East Coast as the new Panamax ships uh, uh, go, go through. And it's going to require, again, a lot of infrastructure work here within the United States to accommodate that. Right. And you also have a lot of foreign investors now that are investing in the U.S., right? Uh, the capital flows in, in, into the U.S., in particular into commercial real estate, are, are, are enormous. Mm -hmm. And that helps diversify our, our, our pool of, uh, of capital. Uh, so we're not totally dependent upon uh, uh, banks and insurance companies to fund our projects, but we can turn to offshore sources. Yeah, that's great. And you know, we see foreign investors buying uh, second homes and buying land and buying in commercial properties. Well, we'll take a short break. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll have more on the top 10 issues affecting real estate right after this. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404 832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm here with Hugh Kelly in Studio One. We're talking about the 10 factors affecting real estate in the U.S. and probably really around the world. And number four is health care. You know, uh, the baby boomers, I hear they're all aging. Of course, not us, right? Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but we hear they're all aging. Then we have health care reform. Tell us what's going on. How's health care affecting real estate? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a use question and a development question. You know, as you get several million more people uh, being covered in terms of health care, obviously the demand side for health care is, uh, is, gro is growing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you're having this whole uh, consolidation process occurring in the healthcare providers, particularly in, in the hospitals. Uh, so uh, you're seeing things uh, on, the, uh, on the development side that are pretty robust, about uh, $40 billion 
in construction in the healthcare field, uh, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, but even more than that is the transformation of, 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 of retail spaces, for example, as uh, uh, more and more healthcare is delivered close to where the people, people live. So you're seeing tennis, it used to be not too desired in shopping, shopping malls, things like, like medical facilities, all of a sudden being highly desired uh, in my hometown in Brooklyn, for example, there's this, this storefront right across the street from the from the government buildings and central central courts. It used to be a combination of Kentucky Fried Chicken and Dunkin' Donuts and mm -hmm. and so on. Now it's 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 a point of service healthcare provided by with one of the big New York City hospitals. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So now I can go get my knee fixed and go to the bar right afterwards. Right <laughs> <laughs> there, you go. And how how much more construction do you expect to see in uh, healthcare related construction? Well, it's 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 going to ramp up, uh, you know, because uh, you know this this trend of of uh, people seeking the services for uh, for healthcare is not going to turn the economy around on uh, on a dime. But uh, uh, as you have again millions of people who didn't have. Uh, 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 you know, the, the financial ability for health care going to reduce a, a bit of the emergency room uh, use and then that's going to be going out into a more retail type uh, 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 health care uh, uh, facilities. Mm -hmm. So I would say for example in industrial parks that you're going to begin to see uh, uh, some of these some of these uses cropped up because those buildings are perfect they're very adaptable uh, adaptable buildings and it's going to be where the population uh, exists. So look for highly dense urban areas as the places where uh, you're going to see uh, uh, not only retail level uh, health care, but the kind of specialized health care where you need uh, a concentration of, of, of patients. So health care becomes an export industry for some, some cities. You know, uh, uh, Houston is a great example of that. Think of the Texas Medical Center. Think of, of, of New York's you know, world-class hospitals. Uh, think of, of, of what Northwestern Hospital, uh, Northwestern University Hospital in Chicago does for its, its whole surrounding area. It's not just servicing Chicagoans, but people coming there. The Mayo Clinic. Yeah, yeah, those are good points. And you also have the adaptive reuse uh, part of that that demand uh, where we can use retail and, and those kind of buildings uh, for medical use. We had a, a building uh, that we took over an assignment that was a large freestanding retail uh, building in a major city in Alabama and it wasn't leasing. Well we said well let's go to healthcare. We got a great healthcare tenant in there so I think it is a helping uh, commercial real estate. Sure. The, you know, I think in Alabama, the University mm -hmm. of uh, Birmingham's medical center mm -hmm. is a regional facility. Mm -hmm. You know, and and very high quality uh, neuroscience there. Yeah. Well, let's get to number three. That's a real big one. The millennials, right? The, the, I like to your call your them. kids and mine. That's right. The i the i kids, right? The i want the iPhone, the iPad, the I want it now, right? <laughs> you know, the uh, the thing about the millennials is, uh, of course, there is many millennials as there are baby boomers uh, and so the baby boomers really charted the course for the economy for our lifetime we did right and our children can We're still impacting health care uh, <laughs> well that's true that's true but in unexpected ways yeah. unexpected ways because instead of us at 65 or 70 going to resort and retirement communities and playing golf we're healthier longer we're working longer we're productive longer 
you know, and that means we've deferred some of those those uh, those healthcare needs, but they're going to yeah. come. Yeah. Uh, for the millennials, the, the question uh, there are a couple: What kind of jobs are they going to, to have? How are they going to pay off their student loans? Mm-hmm. You know, a trillion dollars in, in student loan debt—that's that's a big number. Yeah. And then as they uh, begin to establish themselves, uh, how are they? This is the creative class generation. You know, this this is the technologically sophisticated generation. You know, what are they going to do to transform our economy? We don't know that yet, uh, but we do know that they like to be in edgy urban environments. They like to uh, uh, live kind of in a writ large uh, version of Seinfeld and and Friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not as prone to to exit the city provided the city can provide good quality of life for them. Uh, but, uh, you know, how does that affect real estate? You know, I get the big story, you know, where I, where I am is, of course, Gould's purchase of the old Port Authority headquarters building uh, on 8th Avenue in the meatpacking district of New York, Chelsea. Uh, Google paid $2 billion for one building. Uh, why? because it's on the subway lines that serve the edgy, creative class, hipster neighborhoods, which is where their their talent pool is. Right, and it's gonna affect the office market too. I mean, you know, you see a lot more uh, efficiency and, and benching and things that that, that they, they say the millennials are okay with. And less, and less uh, rigor in nine to five jobs. Right. Time doesn't mean the same thing to this generation as time meant to our generation. All right, we'll have more right after this break. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit commercialrealestateshow.com or call 888 888- 612 show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm here with Hugh Kelly in Studio One. We're talking about the counselors of real estate, top 10 issues affecting commercial real estate. And number two is a real big one, right? I think everyone knows about this one, but it's probably one of the bigger ones, and that's jobs. Jobs. You know, we lost so many jobs in, in the recession, 8 million plus, and we've just gained back what we lost. Uh, we're growing at about 250,000 jobs a month now. Uh, that's sustainable and probably is going to grow as housing Im- uh, improves. Uh, so that's uh, that's the good news. Uh, difficulties, of course, uh, there are whole segments of the economy. Uh, the millennials are one of them, where unemployment is much higher than uh, than the 6.1% uh, unemployment rate that the official rate suggests, and the quality of the jobs have changed. Uh, so I think uh, real estate has, a, has, has an interesting and very positive challenge ahead, uh, ahead of it. Uh, to me, we talk a lot about income inequality across the country, and it's a serious problem. But income mobility is, is an equally serious problem. How do you get someone who can start in a low-end job that's not a dead-end job? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think real estate's a great place to tackle that. 
and, and I'd if, like to see us do that. And if you're investing in real estate, uh, it's a good thing to follow the jobs and where the jobs are going to be. Are there any certain areas geographically or sectors or age ranges you think we'll see more job improvement? You know, it's, uh, it's funny. You get a very, very different picture of the country if you look at absolute numbers of jobs and at percentage growth. Percentage growth is all in, uh, in the energy belt and, uh, and in the south. Uh, uh, absolute job growth is all in the big cities. Uh, and you know, I'll just use my own city, uh, New York, and, and Dallas as, as a point of comparison. Since the year 2000, New York City has grown 1.3 million in population and has commensurate job growth to that. It's exceeded the country in job growth, percentage-wise. Dallas' entire population as a city is 1.2 million. So which of the two is the growth city? <laughs> New York. And you wouldn't think that, would you? Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, let's get to number one, energy. Talk to us about energy. We, we, we need it, don't we? You and I are old enough to remember the, the old Gomer Pyle show, right? Yeah. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Uh, you know, who would have thought 10 years ago that we would produce more petroleum in the United States than we, than, than we import. But that is the case. Who would have thought that we would be producing national gas so that we could be uh, selling that at one-fifth the world price of Europe and Asia? So that's a real game changer for, uh, for the U.S. economy. Of course, it f confronts us with choices. You know. Uh, are we going to take that, uh, uh, that production of an old fuel source uh, and try to exploit that as much as we can at the expense of developing new and cleaner sources of energy? Uh, and different states have taken different positions. For example, uh, South Dakota's created 27,000 jobs because of fracking. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, another 30 or, or 1,000 jobs or so. That's a lot of jobs for states that really need it. Massachusetts, on the other hand, over the course of the last five years, has created about 80,000 jobs in alternative energy sources. So it's not a case of one size fits all. But how do you, do, do you fit the resources and the needs of your local place to serve the energy uh, uh, needs? I was just over in, in Paris uh, uh, speaking at a conference there, and we went out to a, uh, a, an exhibit called the Solar Decathlon which was 10 universities around the world. Each one had a group of students to build a house that was net energy positive. Uh, that, is, that is to say that it gives off more energy to the grid than it takes in. I think that's the way of the future. That's what we need. Hugh Kelly, thanks for joining us today. There you go. For more information from Hugh, visit CRE.org. Join us next week. We'll have a show on the multifamily industry, certainly a hot one. Thanks for joining us today. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit BullRealty.com. And France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit FranceMediaInc.com.